I'm Archbishop Alan Vigneron of the Archdiocese of Detroit, and this is the Eyes on Jesus podcast. Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Jesus podcast with Archbishop Alan Vigneron. I'm your host, Mike Chamberlain. And I'm your host, Mary Wilkerson. We're excited to release new episodes once a month, so please make sure and subscribe and review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Archbishop, welcome, and it's great to have you once again. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, Mike. Great to be with you, Mary. I'm kind of looking forward to the end of winter, I will say. Oh, my uh, goodness. We I'm are right in the gray you. days. Yeah, we are in the gray days. It is. It has been. It's tough. <laughs> And not too much snow. I always say that I I can handle the cold if there's like good, beautiful snow with it. And we did get a little bit of a snowstorm, but I need more snow in the winter. I bet, Mike, you don't agree with that assessment, but... That's how I feel. You know, I actually don't mind snow. I just don't mind. I hate the cold. You know, like yeah. I, I just really don't like. And it's actually been fairly mild, but just recently we're in this kind of cold stint right now, and I'm not a fan right. of that. So, yeah. How about you, Archbishop? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you more of the the snow or the cold that you hate, or both? Or it's the gray. I, I the hate gray. the gray. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's, that is hard. And we've had a ton of that. I was just going to say one of the joys of uh, this last month, January, is that you celebrated your 14th anniversary of your installation as Archbishop of Detroit on January 28th. I was wondering if you wanted to share a little bit about what that day was like. Sure. Happy to do that. It was a day of great joy for me. Um, let me start by remind, remembering that it was on the feast day of St. Thomas Aquinas, which as a uh, uh, an experienced philosophy teacher uh, had yeah. significance for me. Um, I remember my parents being very happy. I think I've told some of you in the past that when I told my mother I was being called back to Detroit, she said, well, I knew that was happening. I told Our Lady <laughs> about it, and I'm sure she w- heard my prayer. That's awesome. Um, well, just the confidence there is great. Yeah. And, and I remember... Uh, so many wonderful people, in spite of the snowstorm, making the effort to be at the cathedral, and the warm welcome I received. So those are a lot of my remembrances. That's so beautiful. And I think, I feel like I've asked you this before, but I'm going to ask you one more time. Is it typical for uh, people in church leadership, so for our bishops and our archbishops and our cardinals, to be placed back where they grew up? Or is that kind of atypical or at all? It just depends. It, it's basically atypical. It, it okay. uh, happens uh, less than most times. But in around the years when I was called back to Detroit, uh, there were, the Holy See was doing that in a number of dioceses. It did it in Pittsburgh, it did it in uh, New Orleans, oh. um, trying to think of where else. But uh, it, it was not so rare in, in uh, the late 90s. Okay. Oh. I think it's so special. I think that's it, that this is your home and uh, the place where you get to be a spiritual leader, which is so great. Hmm. When you think um, when you think back at your the last fourteen years, and there's so much I'm sure you can say, but are there like a couple highlights that you're like, this is this went really well, and I'm really uh, proud of that, or glad that I got called into this ministry for these reasons? Oh, uh, without a doubt, it has to be uh, Synod 16 as yeah. the high point of my uh, my years here. It uh, was a consummation of so much. I came to Detroit convinced that we bishops needed to take up uh, St. John Paul's challenge to engage in the, uh, uh, the new evangelization to begin a, a third Christian millennium. Uh, I looked for ways to do that. Eventually the synod 
presented itself as the right path, and mm -hmm. uh, since then it's the path we've been walking. So yeah. uh, for me, it's beyond any doubt the highlight. Mm -hmm. mm. Archbishop, I know the day after your anniversary, we uh, celebrated another anniversary mass with uh, Guardian Angels Parish. Um, how did that 100-year celebration go? I, I mean, I, I'm sure in your time as uh, Archbishop, you've had various anniversary parishes, anniversary masses to say, how, how was that for you? Well, it was a, a great uh, celebration. I enjoy very much being with uh, the parish on a, a high point like that, a, a, a kind of a golden day in their history. Mm -hmm. And um, I do these about once a month. I have an anniversary to celebrate in the parish. I do the the big numbers, 25, 50, 75, 100, etc. And uh, I always try to make it an occasion to inspire the parish to Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. I think I tell them that uh, what well, you'll see, I've slipped into a structured catechesis here. Yeah. Uh, I tell them that like any community, we, we mark important milestones, but our special way as disciples is to mark the milestone by uh, remembering and remembering uh, what God has done and giving him thanks for those graces. Mm -hmm. So I try to have the people think about uh, graces they're particularly thankful for. And if it's 100 an years, they need to be thankful yeah. for some graces that they didn't experience, but they can right. only imagine. But yeah. that's what God called them to the church for at that Mass. Well, he, he deserves to be thanked. He yeah. knows that uh, giving thanks is what saves us. We say that in the preface. It's our salvation to give God praise and thanks. And so I, I see myself as kind of a cheerleader at these anniversaries, uh, inspiring Thanksgiving, and then as a priest in the Eucharist, offering uh, their Thanksgiving along with uh, uh, making present the Thanksgiving of Jesus, who's always in the presence of the Father, giving God thanks. I saw some pictures from the event, and it seems like a lot of your brother priests will come back for those anniversary masses. Is that pretty typical? It is, especially uh, when the pastor schedules it at a time that facilitates uh, priests coming from their Sunday morning duties to be able to participate in that. Mm. And it's great to see the warmth of the welcome that the, the former clergy uh, former the priests who were assigned there come uh, receive when uh, when they come back and actually at uh, because of the character of Colossians uh, guardian angels there have been a lot of uh, seminarians who have served there as interns oh. and uh, they came back too and it's great I think the people delight to see that uh, this uh, uh, young Levite that mm -hmm. uh, whose progress they were part mm -hmm. of has mm -hmm. now yeah. been launched into the ministry. Yeah, that's so awesome. And I know that Guardian Angels has a school, and that'll lead us right into my next uh, question for you as we kind of look back at this last month. We just celebrated Catholic Schools Week in the Archdiocese of Trite in the state of Michigan, in the nation, which is always an exciting time to kind of celebrate um, the unique things about what it means to educate people within the faith, within our um, institutions. What do you look forward to most about Catholic Schools Week? Well, I, uh, for me, uh, it's solemnized uh, in our uh, celebration of the Eucharist in the cathedral and one of the days in the week. And two parts of it, I enjoy very much having the students 
and they range, I, I'm not sure how it, the selection is, but I've got some primary school kids and I've got some high school students and it's great to see the, the whole range of them there. And I also like the opportunity to uh, call out the principals, uh, the teachers and uh, the staff and ask everybody to express appreciation for them. I usually get them to stand up and receive a little applause, but I'm hoping that they will mostly take it as my appreciation, the Archbishop's appreciation, for uh, what they do to sh for us to share in the apostolate of evangelizing schools. I think that it's a... Uh, um having young people get together at a mass like that and see other young people that are experiencing their faith in the same way through these schools is so important in a time when uh, faith can be kind of isolating for young people to be reminded that they're not alone just in their little school. They're part of a much bigger picture. I know you always preach during that mass. Was there any message that you had for Catholic schools this year during the Catholic schools week mass that you got to celebrate? Well, uh, in particular, my message was focused on the, the feast day that we celebrated. It was the presentation, which popularly is called Candlemas in light of Simeon picking up the baby Jesus and calling him a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And so it talked about the light that Christ is uh, for uh, our, our journey and uh, illuminating the the path we walk in this world onto the next world and that that makes that rounds out a catholic education i will say this again and again uh, we uh, we need to understand that training in the faith formation in the faith is not something laminated on the rest of uh, the education in our schools but it's 11 in every part and uh, we do schools better than anybody else because we know why we have schools. We, we know the ultimate purpose of education, which is to help somebody be equipped for their mission in this world and prepared for their eternal destiny. A, a school that doesn't uh, understand uh, the, the ultimate end of human life is a kind of a, a phantom. It's, uh, it's a peace, not mm -hmm. a, it lacks wholeness. Well, we continue to be thankful, like you said, for all the people that work so hard to keep our Catholic schools going and all the good work that we know is taking place there. So I think we're going to move on to this month's topic, which I'm excited to discuss. This month's topic is Living Lent, or how to live out the liturgical season of Lent more deeply um, than just maybe giving something up until Easter. Uh, what's funny is we did an episode on Lent back in March 2020, right before the pandemic began. So enough time has passed and we can maybe explore Lent through different angles as we move into Lent 2023. But before we kind of dig into maybe living Lent in a real liturgical and beautiful way, can you review some of the basics of Lent for our listeners? I know we all kind of know, but a refresher is always good. Well, Lent is a participation for the whole people of God to get ready to celebrate the sacred tree to them, the most solemn holy days, to be immersed into the Paschal mysteries uh, during Holy Week and uh, the solemn Easter celebration. And it really has two uh, dimensions for that. The first is uh, the preparation of the catechumens. This is... Uh, uh, they've been going through some, some basic training uh, to get ready for the 
Easter sacraments for baptism, confirmation, and Holy Eucharist. And this is a little bit like their ranger uh, workout. Um, uh, this yeah. is their more intense preparation for the sacraments. Yeah. And seeing that, the rest of the faithful, those of us who are already baptized, we want to be renewed in, uh, in our own uh, initiation into the death and rising of Christ. So we make Lent along with them. It's 40 days, certainly because that's suggested uh, above all by our Lord's own 40 days of fasting in the desert, but also the 40 years that uh, the children of Israel spent in uh, the desert getting prepared to come into the Holy Land. You know, uh, one thing uh, that maybe helps keep us focused is the uh, call that we have for repentance mm. as uh, baptized Catholics, which finds its best expression in the sacrament of uh, penance, reconciliation. Mm -hmm. And uh, something we should remember is that uh, a lot of the fathers of the church spoke of uh, the sacrament of penance as a kind of second baptism. So uh, we, uh, uh, the Easter celebration, the Triduum, is very much a time for us to be uh, solemnly renewed in our baptism. I know last time on our, on our episode, we actually really focused in on that idea of repentance and that word repent is really fueled by so much of like really changing the mind that we have, that word mentanoia. And I know we, we kind of spoke last time, we actually recorded a few years ago about this idea of the phoenix and how it's a, you were actually quoted as saying, I think the phoenix is a really good mythological uh, figure and it has to happen in this way. It is not that we it's not that the new life comes after, but that it comes through and from. It's from a burying of our burdens and our mortality, uh, and that we shine through all the more as God's sons or daughters. And it's it's a beautiful reality, this, this um, penitent season, that it's through repentance, changing the mind we have, reviewing our sins, and utilizing them, in fact, not uh, use, utilizing them as a, as a tool, if you will, to kind of come through all the more shining brightly the light of Christ. And um I don't know. I just I know I want to return to that theme. This idea of um, utilizing our sin for a good, if you will, is I don't know if you want to speak more on that, Archbishop. Well, I think that's really important, Mike. Uh, uh, it's uh, a, a a confession of the universality, the all-encompassing nature of how Jesus saves us. Uh, he yeah, he delivers us from sin but he delivers us from sin by transforming uh, the evil fruit of our sin into an opportunity uh, to give the Father glory and for us to grow in holiness. Uh, 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 one way to think about this is when we confess our sin uh, we, uh, in, in repentance, uh, we are humbled. And in that very humbling, uh, we uh, proclaim how good God is. Uh, it, it's, I'm a sinner and God loves me. It, it's a, that's one small example, but it's, it's at the very heart of uh, the salvation given us, one for us in Christ, that there isn't any dimension of the fallen world that can't be touched and transformed uh, by, by Christ. You know, this comes out in the Easter Vigil uh, when uh, uh, the deacon sings, O happy fault, O necessary sin of Adam, 
so, that ha, has won for us so great a Savior. Yeah, it's pretty profound when you think about our sins and our failings that way, because sometimes I think they can stall us um, versus motivating us, to, motivating us to do better and to just rely on Christ and his love. Um, when we talk about sins, I think some sins are really easy to identify. I feel like a lot of times I confess the same things when I go to confession. Um, <laughs> you know, things like stealing or mistreating other people, using bad language is one that I always say. But how can we, Archbishop, go deeper in our examination, rooting out the parts of our lives that might be more subtly pulling us away? So, you know, there's like the laundry list that we're used to, but do you have any suggestions of how when we're examining our contents to really pull out the root of some of the things that are causing us to sin? Most of us go through the Ten Commandments as a, a way to examine our conscience. That's, that's very good. Mm -hmm. uh, a way to uh, talk about the attitudes that are behind our sins might be to use the Beatitudes as a, a measure for my, my behavior. Uh, now, we have to be careful. Uh, we don't just confess our attitudes. Uh, right. Sins are actions. But yeah. it does help. It's very important to look at the attitudes, identify the attitudes that are uh, the seed of our sin. So I'd suggest the Beatitudes. Mm -hmm. um, another way is to think about our duties in life. Uh, what are the particular responsibilities, the opportunities that I have in my life? D the duties I have uh, to fulfill in order to serve God faithfully and also, what are the opportunities I have that sometimes I fail to take advantage of? Uh, sins of omission. That can be also very important. So those can be good ways to identify our sinful acts. And I think the Beatitudes can be uh, an impulse for identifying the attitudes uh, behind uh, uh, that, that are the, the seedbed of, mm -hmm. of our sin. And mm -hmm. the simple one is to look at Jesus and say, how am I not like him? That help, Mary? Yeah, that's actually super helpful. Sometimes I have a hard time with that line between, and I, I'm glad you pointed it out, that attitudes in themselves, right, are just uh, the struggle of our concupiscence, right? And those aren't necessarily sinful, but when they turn into actions, they are. I like the idea of reflection, reflecting on the Beatitudes um, to lead us to a deeper understanding of becoming like Christ, which is what we want to do ultimately. Right. We want to let the Holy Spirit uh, uh, un be unleashed in our lives because this is the natural, the thing that by his nature he seeks to accomplish is to remake us into the new person, the new Adam, the new Eve. Another piece that you said just now, which I thought was really uh, important, and it's shifted the way I've done confession since we've met for this podcast, when you talk about examining the, your own state in life and, and what you're called to in terms of your responsibilities, you had shared many episodes back about the going to reconciliation and starting with the state in your life, right? So beginning reconciliation with, I'm a, you know, I'm a wife and a mother of five children. So I've started doing that in my discipline of reconciliation. It actually helps me examine my conscience differently when I name that in the beginning. Like the, my responsibilities are a little bit different than someone that isn't married or somebody that doesn't have children. And it helps me focus my examination of conscience, which I think is, it's been really powerful in my own life. So I want to thank you for that tip that you gave uh, some episodes back when looking at the sin in our lives. You're welcome. 
By the way, I didn't come up with that on my own. <laughs> <laughs> you, I will tell you, though, you were the first one that I had never in any of my formation pieces um, heard that you should start with that in reconciliation. It's been helpful. You know, I like what you were saying, too, Archbishop, because, I mean, it seems like, uh, at least from what you were just saying, it guided me to reflect on the fact that we're not just— utilizing the Beatitudes helps us not only reflect on what we shouldn't do. That's oftentimes, I think, what we reflect with when we think about going to confession and our sin and our repentance, what we shouldn't do, who we shouldn't be. But the Beatitudes reflect to us what what we should actually do and who we should actually be. And so I think there's something really beautiful about examining the positive as well as kind of the negative side of it, too. And I do also really like what you said about that humble piece, because I think at least the last number of years, I've really reflected with the fact that, like, like you were just saying, Mary, like we just kind of keep going and, and, and confessing the same sins. Right. And really, I mean, the truth is like, I will always confess these same sins because I'm I'm never going to come out of this on my own. Like I'm dependent on God to rescue me. I'm dependent on God to help me not do these things. And I'm also dependent on God to be the positive, the beatitude version of it as well. And so it does form this this humble dependence upon God, mm-hmm. which again is so beautiful about this season. You know, would, would you agree with that, Archbishop? And like, I, I don't know if there's additional thoughts when it comes to examining your conscience in reflection of that. Well, I th- yes, <clears throat> I agree with you. And uh, another part of this examination, and this is not that one uh, uh, brings this to the confessor, but uh, a, a good uh, uh, secondary or a, another effect of this kind of examination can be that I uh, in, um, identify what it is I need to give God thanks for in, in my life. It's a good conversation to think and reflect on that importance of repentance. And one of the things that I've heard before that I'd love your thoughts on as well is, you know, we discussed the idea that new life doesn't come after repentance, but through repentance. And that's kind of like what we're talking about, right? The process of receiving forgiveness and asking forgiveness in itself makes us holier or closer to the person of Christ. It is new life. Yeah, yeah. Only only in grace can I face my, my sinfulness as sinfulness because only in grace uh, do I understand and, and come to, to God in mm-hmm. his mercy. I know you talked earlier in this episode about kind of this idea of, of the spiritual disciplines, the three main spiritual disciplines we all know of when it comes to Lent, as far as prayer and fasting and almsgiving. But beyond covering those basics, how else can Catholics and families, you think, live, live Lent kind of uh, liturgically and, and live it uh, kind of really this time of year specifically. Do you have any thoughts or specific reflections on how we might take that into our own interior life, the prayer, the fasting, and the almsgiving? Any recommendations for us as we approach Lent this year? Well, um, uh, th- these are the three things we do, and, and I'm not going to really think about or talk about doing different things, mm-hmm. but perhaps uh, what we can think about is the way we do prayer, uh, fasting, and, and, and works of mercy uh, to, to have celebrate Lent, keep Lent very much as a communal uh, re- experience in the family, uh, to set maybe set a time, some time aside every day, and, and just uh, go over what, what's going on for, for Lent in mm-hmm. all of us today. Um, now, maybe that's, uh, you know, I know families are very busy. Maybe that's tough with a lot of kids, even with one or two kids. Mm-hmm. 
but it's useful. And perhaps the most important thing are for husbands and wives to make their Lent together. I think uh, I would put a very high priority on that. Uh, share with one another what the resolutions are, the hopes are, uh, to uh, take some time to pray together and to engage in works of mercy together. I think to make Lent a, a family event it would be very, very helpful. Well, we're so lucky here in the Archdiocese, right, because there's so much work being done, I think, to help walk with families when it comes to things like this. I know I love the liturgical seasons because it helps our family pray more intentionally. You know, um, one of the things that is even on our sheets that we do, uh, like our discussion sheets for the podcast today is, you know, making a pilgrimage to the Father Solanus Casey Center downtown and going to the Sacrament of Reconciliation and really having it be a pilgrimage, right? Like we're so lucky to have these pilgrimage locations right here in the Archdiocese, Solanus Casey being one of them, but also there's, there's many beautiful churches like going to reconciliation together, things like that, right? Yes, very yeah. much. Uh, that's, that's a big help. And, you know, the, the sociological data is very clear that uh, the clear dynamic about uh, seeing, helping children grow into the faith in, in their adulthood is that their parents share the faith with them. Mm -hmm. That uh, just, I think we've talked about this before, Yep. Just like uh, parents uh, participate in their children's uh, uh, membership in uh, the basketball team and uh, uh, support them in that, this is uh, these works of religion need to be done together, and that's yeah. that's what what will make uh, a, a very significant impact on the lives of uh, their children. It's funny too, as I, I've noticed my kids grow up, you know. Uh, the Stations of the Cross is a tradition that obviously in Lent many parishes offered on Fridays. And it would be, when my kids were real little, it was impossible for me to imagine on a Friday night going to Stations of the Cross. Like I was like, no possible way. But what we did was we hung the stations just on our wall and we, at night, it was so simple. We would name the station and then just pray together. We adore you, O Christ, and we love you because by your holy cross you have redeemed the world. Then move to the next station, right? And then we'd end with that really simple uh, song, you know, were you there when they nailed me to the tree? And the kids sing it together. And it's something simple that wouldn't take our family more than 10 minutes. But it made sense when my kids were so little and we couldn't do the stations of the cross at a parish, right? So we can sometimes think creatively within our little domestic churches how to adapt things to work with different seasons. Yes. And Mary, I'd be interested, uh, when you talk about it, obviously you're talking about parents sharing their prayer with their children. Mm -hmm. uh, what's the experience of uh, an adult uh, having your child share his or her experience with you? What does that do to the parent's prayer? Yeah, and I think that's um, so significant. And that's why, um, well, at least in my home, uh, when my kids get an opportunity, when they're leading the prayer for the evening and hearing their words, it reminds me, I think in some ways, um, of the simplicity of God's love and forgiveness for us um, versus sometimes we complicate it with like, and I, I don't mean we complicate it, but they simplify it in a way that helps me understand it in a more pure way in some ways. Does it, uh, do you wind up giving God thanks that uh, you have these children who know how to pray? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a true gift in families. And it doesn't have to be intimidating, right? It can be really, it can start very small and simply. And then hopefully, and I guess I'm, I'm seeing it 
it's a really beautiful thing. My youngest being five and my oldest being 12 when we've, we've taken the time to make it a habit in our lives, right? So then our kids are comfortable in the reality of prayer and confession and going to church and things like that. And there's something really cool about that. And like you said, just constant thanks for, for our faith and for what we've been given. I did want to ask one question that I see here on these notes, Archbishop Vigneron. It was a note that you'll be giving a stational mass or celebrating a stational mass on February 26th at 11 o'clock. And neither Mike or I knew what a stational mass was. It's a very tech. It's a, it's a traditional term uh, used in the Roman liturgy uh, to describe uh, a diocesan event where the diocesan bishop is the principal celebrant at a an event at, at a celebration that really stands for uh, the whole local church, hmm. um, and it just it's probably comes from a Roman uh, uh, army term. Uh, that uh, you you have to go to a fixed place, and you go there for a fixed purpose. Uh, so it's like uh, uh, somebody today being told, "Well, you're being stationed at Fort Bragg." It's a little bit like that, but it's meant to talk about the official nature of the church uh, being gathered together at one spot for a, a special event. And it doesn't mean that everybody in the diocese is there, but it means that the diocese is represented by uh, the uh, the bishop, his priests, the deacons, and the lay faithful. So probably the uh, most obvious stational mass uh, is the chrism mass. That would be mm -hmm. one occasion okay. when anybody could come into the cathedral and see the the, the church as the sacrament uh, that we are. This is what the church, this is what the church looks like. Mm -hmm. So that's what a stational mass is. Now there's a long tradition of these in, uh, in the very city of Rome. Groups of the faithful gather at a designated church as part of their Lenten celebration. Any official celebration of the diocese uh, should be called a stational mass. That makes sense. You learn something new every day. Well, we've been around a long time, and we've got a lot of stuff in our heritage. Sure <laughs> That's true. And that makes a perfect segue into another question that I wanted to ask you, which is when we're talking about Lent and living kind of liturgically and trying to live our Lent, we know there's other liturgical seasons too, and there's a real beauty that can be found in praying through liturgical seasons. So um, what what are some of the other liturgical seasons? Why does their church have a liturgical calendar? How can we really exercise that liturgical calendar in our day-to-day -day lives? I know that's a lot of questions. Well, I think uh, <laughs> one way to think about the liturgical calendar is to understand it as a kind of uh, uh, birth, uh, an advancement from a, a core identity and that mm -hmm. then became articulated out. The core liturgical time is the first day of the week, Sunday. And that's when the church is always gathered to celebrate the mystery of grace, the Paschal mystery. And that then leads to a reflection on uh, time and God's time and saving time and to spell it all out over, over a year's uh, period. So uh, what's present in germ uh, becomes more articulated through the seasons. And the most important season 
is the one before and after uh, the Paschal Triduum, preparing for it and then uh, for 40 days and then living out the joy for 50 days. Uh, the second most significant season is the Christmas season with the preparation for it and then the living out of it. And a third season that we don't perhaps think a lot about, but is ordinary time, which is itself a season to remind us that uh, uh, we live the Paschal mystery, we celebrate it in the sacred liturgy in a, in a day in and day out in, uh, in ordinary time. Uh, but uh, that the Paschal mystery, the mystery of uh, the grace of the Eucharist is present to us in, in that as well. I mean, we have rhythms in our lives, mm -hmm. but uh, this is the acknowledgement that besides whatever natural rhythms we have, uh, there's a graced rhythm. And what's interesting is that the graced rhythm, the rhythm, the liturgical rhythm, uh, builds on the natural rhythm. So we celebrate Christmas, uh, the high point of the season, at a time when uh, light is beginning to grow in our world. Mm -hmm. We celebrate uh, the Passover of Jesus uh, on the time, at the time we do it, first of all, historically, because he, uh, he, he gave his life for us during the Passover feast, but it also coincides with the new birth of the uh, beautiful season in spring. And so uh, the, the natural rhythm of life reinforces the, the graced rhythm of our lives in Christ. And then there are days uh, throughout these seasons that uh, call us to, to mark the time like the last Sunday of the church's year, the last Sunday of ordinary time is the Feast of Christ the King. And uh, so when you, you start talking about last, uh, when we talk about the, the year, the, uh, whether it's the liturgical year coming to an end, or we think about the, 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 uh, the natural year coming to a conclusion, our minds turn to the return of Jesus at the end of time. Uh, coming uh, in, in his fullness uh, and to fulfill his kingship. But we're creatures of time, and time itself is the, uh, the medium by which God saves us. He saves us in time. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a little abstract, I guess, but... I think that's a good explanation of it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you mark yeah. your lives in, with anniversaries, right. uh, birthdays... Yep. Uh, thing. This is what we always do right. uh, around the Fourth of July. Uh, we have grace, the rhythms of grace as well. Mm. I was going to ask you, Mike. What are some of your like favorite um, liturgical year traditions that you do within your household? Um, I know I'm, putting I'm you on the like spot. A, yeah, no, it's okay. <laughs> I, I always love. I really love Advent. I'm I'm a big fan of Advent. Um, and I think just it's time that time of year. There's kind of like the excitement of Christmas coming and the anticipation there, but also, I don't know, just I, I feel like the themes around Advent of um, reflecting on the fact that Christ has come, of course, he, he will come again, but he's also coming currently, presently into my heart mm -hmm. if I allow him to, you know, so I think that's a really beautiful, you know, it ties well to the Christmas Carol, the movie, you know, past, present, future, you know, I, I don't yes. know, there's just something <laughs> about reflecting on those, and, and like kind of goes back to the Archbishop saying, it really helps you reflect with this idea of time. Mm -hmm. and and our place in it even though it's abstract 
Um, of course, you know, Lent, it's, it's weird. I, I kind of like the season of Lent, but don't at the same time. It's, it's, it feels like a downer season in a way, but at the same time, I know that it's good for me. You know, it's like a, a good workout or something, which I don't want to do, but it's good for me and I know it. Um, but beyond that, I'd say I've come as an adult to come uh, better appreciate ordinary time. Um, and part of that is because I think we have these highlights or markers in our life, you know, like our birth or, you know, these different huge moments, but most of our life and most of what happens is, is commonplace or ordinary, or, but to say it's common doesn't mean it's commonplace. Like really, uh, we're building up who we are and God is building us into who we are in the ordinary rhythms of our lives, not necessarily at those highlights, you know? Um, so I don't know, that's been a good reflection as kind of leader as an adult, you know? Yeah. How about you, Mary? I like them all. I was I was thinking as the Archbishop was talking, I think in the last, you know, 10 or 15 years because of the internets, we are so lucky within our domestic churches, but for real, because we, there's so many ideas of how to mm. make the liturgical year come alive. And I know, I mean, this is silly, but you know, St. John Bosco's feast day was last week. And so, so many of my Catholic friends fed their kids Bosco sticks for dinner, like little things that we do <laughs> that make yeah. these days kind of open up for our kids. And then you end with, you know, a prayer and explaining who St. John Bosco is. So there's ideas like that, that I just, I feel like we really benefit from that maybe my parents didn't have access to all these great ideas, right? Uh, mm -hmm, when mm -hmm. when they were raising us. And so sometimes it can be overwhelming because there's so many great ideas. But I know like even in the Archdiocese of Detroit, you know, there's this new podcast, Beyond Sunday, and it's all about how we live the liturgical year in our families. We spoke before about 52 Sundays, that awesome research uh, resource from the Archdiocese of Detroit, which every single week gives us ways that we can uh, pray together and eat together and play together in a way that reflects the liturgical season. And I think, I don't know, I really do think our kids, we'll see, I'll let you guys know in 20 years, but are really going <laughs> to benefit from these natural rhythms and fun and joy and movement through these these seasons so yeah. i'm i'm like uh praying with liturgical year as a mother and i would i think aaron would say this as a father has really just ignited our family in yeah. awesome ways awesome ways you mary you talked about i don't have a clue well i have some clue but i'm not <laughs> sure what a bosco stick is <laughs> uh, I, I presume it has something to do with chocolate. No, actually, what it is, Archbishop, is they're like little um, breadsticks with cheese in them that they're they're served at all uh, like cafeterias. So at all the kids' schools, I didn't know what they were until I started working again with schools, and they get served like once a week. It's just a breadstick with cheese in it, but it's called a Bosco stick. So we've decided well, to. Well, uh, see, I was off, but <laughs> it's an example of marking the the seasons by food. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I I knew that Sunday was special when I was a kid because we went to church, but I also knew it was special because we went to Grandma's house and we had this really the best meal of the week. And that that was that marked the liturgical season. Yeah. And uh, abstinence and fasting is a way to mark the liturgical season. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Our diet uh, changed because of things in the liturgical calendar. Right. Just this morning on the way to school, I have to tell you this because it's a Holy Spirit moment because we're discussing this. There's the Rosary Club once a week at uh, Divine Child. And one of this week, they're serving cupcakes. And one of my kids was yelling at the other kid because he only wanted to go because of the cupcakes. And I said, food is a part of celebration. Yeah, that's a 
part of what we do. So it's okay if the cupcakes are making it more uh, enticing for my kids to go to Rosary Club, right? And so it is funny how things move. Um, the tangible incarnational things that we deal with on a daily basis can uh, move us in these real spiritual ways within our homes. It's awesome. Mm. You know, we've been talking about obviously living liturgically and, and Archbishop, I wanted to ask you specifically, like what are, what are some of your favorite things specifically about Lent, since this is kind of a theme today, uh, to help you, what, what have you found really helpful in the years, uh, of your, of your life to live the season of Lent liturgically speaking? Well, before we go there, can I tell you that one of my great uh, celebrations in the liturgical year is getting my throat blessed on St. Blair's oh, Day? Yes. And part of it is uh, a memory uh, that when we were very little, I mean, there are, there are six of us and we're spaced about two and three years apart. Mm -hmm. And uh, my mother used to make sure that even the littlest of us was taken to church to have the throat blessed on, on St. Blaise Day. And so when I uh, have that blessing, uh, I'm just powerfully connected to my, my family. Oh. F uh, for Lent, I think <laughs> um, I try uh, these last years especially uh, to, uh, in my mind's eye, in my imagination, uh, to uh, make my, my daily meditation at the station church uh, that's designated for that day. Uh, this goes back to my own experience as a seminarian in Rome. Uh, I used to try in the afternoons uh, to go to the, the station church and participate in the, the singing of the Litany of Saints and the penitential procession. And uh, so uh, being at uh, the church of uh, St. George in the swamp or uh, <laughs> the church of, that's the name of it, by the way. That's funny. Uh, or okay. the church of uh, Saints John and Paul on the day appointed uh, helps my prayer in Lent. Hmm. That's great, Archbishop. Did you have anything more that you wanted to add uh, on, this, on this reflection or on this topic as far as living the seasons, especially Lent? I've enjoyed very much the conversation. I, I think, well, I think to sum it up, the Holy Spirit has great gifts for each of us in Lent, and uh, we need to take a little time to uh, be in tune to the Holy Spirit, to ask him what's he offering, and then to uh, embrace what, what's being offered. Because while there is a, a sameness about the grace of Lent for all of us, there's something very particular for each of us about Lent of 2023. Something there's never been offered before and something that won't be offered to anybody else but to me. That's great, I like how you said that, that the unique nature of this specific Lent, you know, that's beautiful. Just before we wrap up, I just wanted to say that um, for our listeners, as we kind of talk about living liturgically, those two resources that Beyond Sunday and those 50, the Beyond Sunday podcast, and then 52 Sundays, which is a resource that you can go online and it's free to use. If, if you're listening to this and you're wondering how maybe to live the liturgical life more intentionally at your home, those two resources would just be beyond valuable. I know they've helped me so much kind of think creatively about how to do some of this stuff, especially maybe with little kids, right? And in our, our family, in our domestic world. Um, but in, in, in when 
Archbishop, when you talked about going for that blessing of the throats with your family, like I thought that was so beautiful that that's a memory that you have of your domestic church, right? And now you're leading this like local church and it's also tied together. So I think the more that we can kind of dive into our family cultures living liturgically, that's the kind of stuff that'll last forever. And so just encouraging our listeners to check out those two resources. You know, we're, we're keeping you from wrapping up, Mike, but... <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Something I've learned from uh, what I've seen in uh, grade schools is uh, it's very helpful to have the older children uh, give direction and leadership to the younger children. Mm. Uh, that really is a way to internalize what's going on. Amen. I was going to say, I think you might have come up with a new tagline there, Mary, because you said you said beyond Sundays are beyond helpful. And it was like, wow, look at you. Look at you coming up with something there. A branding genius right here on Eyes on Jesus podcast. <laughs> uh, Archbishop, of course, before we do a final blessing and, and, and we go, I wanted to, of course, ask you if there's anything specific you had on your heart and mind as far as prayer intentions that we can keep uh, and pray for you this next month. Well, uh, I'd ask everybody to keep up the prayers for... Uh, priestly vocations in the archdiocese. That's very, very important. And uh, let's hold the catechumens in prayer. Uh, This is a time very important, this final weeks of their preparation. Also, uh, priests tell me that it's not uncommon for the catechumens to be uh, tempted and assailed to bail at this time. So they uh, they need to be strengthened. They need a uh, fortitude to keep moving forward. You got it. We'll definitely keep those in mind and in prayer. And Archbishop, if you wouldn't mind closing us with a, uh, a prayer and a blessing, that'd be great. Happy to do it. Let's put all of the aspirations that we have to be faithful children of the Father into the hands of Our Lady as she presents our prayers to the Lord on high. Hail Mary, full of grace, grace the Lord is the Lord with is thee. Happy. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thanks, Archbishop. You're welcome. Stay tuned for the next episode of Eyes on Jesus, a new episode every month. And if you enjoyed listening, you might also like Beyond Sundays, a new podcast from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Find it on your favorite podcast app.